Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. By studying bacteria, we get a bit insight to the arms race between our immune system and those invaders. Now, bacterial infections can cause all kind of deadly damage to your body, whether that be meningitis, infections in your brain and the meninges, or the way in which other cells can make their way through and affect parts of our body. Understanding our body's response to this and learning tips and techniques on how the bacteria sneaks through can just give about give us an edge to develop new treatments. The human body is full of all kinds of organs doing different jobs. These can be used to move you around, give you the sense or sights of the world and able to interact with it. But what coordinates all of that, the motions, the senses, the functions of all your organs is of course all connected ultimately back through our central nervous system and that central role that it plays with our brain in coordinating life as we know it. Now in humans, we have our brain protected by what we call the meninges. These are membrane layers that are stacked on top of it. They wrap themselves snugly around our brain, our spinal cord, and they keep that central nervous system protected. Protected from lots of things, whether that be damage directly or injury or infection. And these layers are layers of defenses that can sometimes get infected. This is where a disease called meningitis comes in. This is an infection of the brain or the nervous system, which can be pretty nasty if it takes hold. Now, whilst it can be treated, and it comes in lots of different forms, because after all, it's a bacterial infection. The cause can be varied and widespread. But if left untreated, in, for example, the US, they find that it's around 7 out of 10 people who come in contact with it have a pretty severe response. And even those who get through the infection if left untreated, one in five will end up with some serious long-term consequences, whether that be hearing, vision loss, seizures, headaches, and other neurological damage. Because after all, we're talking about an infection in the brain. Any infection there is going to cause problems. Now, of course, we have treatments, so we don't normally let them go untreated. And there are around 1.2 million cases of bacterial meningitis occurring globally each year. But we have therapies. We have things like antibiotics, which can help fight back. We also have vaccines that target some specific variants of these types of infections. And of course, when we see a severe case, we can do things to treat it. Now, obviously, you want to reduce inflammation because if you have an infection, things can swell up. If that's your brain or your nervous system, (laughs) that's not good. So we generally try to give steroids to actually suppress and keep that inflammation down. Problem is, steroids can often be immunosuppressant. They suppress our own immune response system, which actually makes you even more at risk. So doctors are always trying to find this two-part balance. Fight the infection with antibiotics, but also boost and reduce the inflammation by giving you some steroids to keep the, any inflection for actually damaging you too severely. This balancing act is difficult. So researchers are always looking for ways to improve responses to it, find better treatments and understand the way in which this disease spreads. Because after all, vaccination is a fantastic tool in our arsenal, but it's not the only one, and it doesn't stop you 100% from getting all types of this type of bacterial infection. So researchers have been investigating this for many years, trying to understand the way in which the infection occurs and how it gets in, and what happens inside the brain when it does. And a lot of the time, 
it's been focused on what happens to your brain when it's undertaking the infection, but not actually focused on how that infection got in there in the first place. Which is what researchers from Harvard Medical School, like Felipe Pilonorbera, are investigating, along with a number of others on this large paper published in the journal Nature. And what these researchers from Harvard Medical School and other associated in the universities were looking into was how that bacteria itself manages to break through the brain's protective layers, these membranes, the meninges, and how that infection actually passes through physically through all these different defenses that you have. Because understanding that and the way those defenses work and the way the bacteria manages to slip through could provide a new avenue for potential treatment and prevention. Now, there was many authors on this paper, but all of this work was being led by Associate Professor Chu from the Harvard Medical School, and the lead author on this particular paper leading the research was Felipe Pino de Ribeiro. Now, they were building off some previous research done by Chu, which was looking at the interplay between bacteria and how they interact with the nervous and immune systems. Sometimes you can end up with crosstalk between nerve cells and immune cells, and this interaction can help ward off disease, but sometimes it can go wrong and actually lead to the creation of an opening for that bacteria to get in. And that was something that Chu had looked at with others in the way some types of pneumonia and flesh-eating bacteria get into the cells and take over. And so instead of looking at pneumonia, they were looking at, of course, meningitis, the bacterial infection which gets into the meninges. And the meninges are these membranes that lie stacked on top of each other, wrapping the brain and the spinal cord to keep them safe. Now, the outermost of these layers is called the dura matter, and this contains all kinds of neurons, pain neurons that detect some signals. These signals actually can come in the form of often mechanical pressure. Let's imagine you're getting hit by an object on your head, blunt force from an impact. Or another way of saying you would, this kind of mechanical pressure would be toxins that make their way into the central nervous system, say through the bloodstream. Now, this outermost layer of the, of the membranes the dura matter, it's one of the ones that is a first line of defense. So for the researchers, it's one that you want to look at in detail to see how things manage to sneak through this barrier. So how do bacteria manage to interact with this first layer, this protective border tissue? Well, there are a lot of things that are inside the dura matter as well. It's not just a bunch of pain cells. It's also got a lot of immune cells. And these immune cells and nerve cells, they're basically right alongside each other. So how do bacteria manage to sneak past this amassing of cells in this thick layer of this membrane, the dura matter on the top? So first, we've got to meet our adversaries. In this case, the researchers were focused on two particular pathogens, two types of leading causes of bacterial meningitis in humans, Streptococcus pneumoniae and Streptococcus elisatae. Now, these are the common types of causes of meningitis. And using these particular bacteria strains, they followed them as they made their journey trying to get through these cells. Now, what they found is when the bacteria reach the meninges, they can trigger a chain reaction of events that will ultimately culminate in disseminated infection, a spread infection. Now, how this happens is in a stepped process. The bacteria releases toxin. Now, this toxin serves a role of activating the pain neurons that are lying spread through the meninges. This is why, if you have meningitis, you will feel often severe headaches because you are getting pain neurons in your head being activated. Headaches, severe headaches, are a telltale sign of meningitis. 
So that's the first thing that happens. This toxin is released by the bacteria and that triggers the pain receptors in the outermost layer of your meninges. And then those neurons that are triggered, these pain receptors that go, ah, oh, I'm responding to a toxin, they release a signaling chemical called CGRP. And this attaches to an immune cell receptor ramp. And this is spread all through the immune cells in, in the region. So once that chemical is received on the receptor, the immune cell is effectively disabled. This is a pretty neat trick because basically it's a one-two punch. You trigger the pain cell, the pain cell wakes up and tries to respond, but by doing so actually enables the bacteria to disable the immune cell response. The macrophages would normally detect the presence of bacteria, spring into action, engulf it and try and destroy it or send distress signals to the second line of defense. But when the attack from this particular toxin, the chemical that's released by this bacterial infection, it stops the macrophages, your immune cells, from asking for help. And they aren't able to recruit fellow immune cells to come and fight back against the infection. And as a result, the bacteria basically gets a free pass and spreads pretty uncontrolled. Now, this highlights the sneaky way in the bacteria is making its way through this particular layer by first activating the pain cell that's trying to induce a chemical response, which it can then use for an advantage. And to confirm that this was actually taking place, they built up a, a mouse model where they didn't have those pain neurons in place in the dura layer. In the mice without the pain neurons, they actually developed less severe brain infections when when exposed to the same bacteria than the mice that still had their intact pain neurons in that region. So that's because the immune cells weren't disabled by this chemical that's released as part of the pain signaling. And the, effectively the sneaky one-two punch that the bacteria tries to use to take over wasn't actually able to be hit. The first punch doesn't land, so the second is less bad. And that's effectively what the technique does. This is pretty amazing because it shows the importance of the interplay between these pain neurons and the immune response that's occurring in the dura and the way that the bacteria in this case is so finely tuned to go up against that foe. They know the cheat codes for how to win this fight and they use it really effectively. Now, if you were to develop a drug or a treatment that actually blocked this process, you could actually boost the ability of the immune cells to do their job properly and keep the brain's border defenses really strong. Give the brain's immune system the understanding of this one-two punch combo that the bacteria is trying to use. The thing is, the drugs that actually block CGRP or RAMP1 are actually already found widely in drugs used to treat migraines. Now, could this then be a basis for new treatments for meningitis? Well, that's certainly a possibility, but one that needs to be definitely investigated further. Now, this is an interesting example of how, when we have an infection in the brain, you can be focused on the better ways to treat the infection once it gets in. But if you can stop it from being as severe in the first place, it's probably actually a better and more easy to treat. And this research published in from the Harvard Medical School in the journal Nature by lead author Felipe Pinero-Vero and others shows new techniques could really change our way of approaching this disease and come up with new treatment pathways that don't just rely on steroids or antibiotics but help boost the function and performance of our own immune system at the right time.
Now, we like to think about the arms race between bacteria and immune systems, but these may be more closely related than you may think. As part of the evolutionary journey, one of the big questions is around is how did our immune system and humans evolve and where did it come from? Now, it's been long thought that perhaps some of the human immune system is actually would have originated first in bacteria with then evolution yielding more and more complex versions of this bacterial virus fighting tools across plants and animal kingdoms and obviously in humans. And understanding this is important because where our immune system comes from is also useful to know how our foes for our immune system bacteria also operate. And if they share a common platform, a common language, then it also helps us build tools to fight back better against infection. Now, this is pretty interesting because the way in which bacteria operate is in many ways very similar to human cells. They fight off invaders themselves and the way in which they behave is very similar to the core machinery used by human cells that can often switch immune pathways on and off. So by studying bacteria in operation, we can also understand more around how human cells will respond too. And that's what researchers from the University of Colorado Boulder have been diving into and just published in the journal Nature. Now, Assistant Professor Aaron Whiteley was leading a lot of this research with first author on this paper, Hannah Ledvina. Now, of course, we love turning to bacteria to learn more about human cells. The whole premise of CRISPR, which won the Nobel Prize way back in 2020 by all fantastic researchers like Jennifer Dudner, they turned this occurrence, this gene editing tool that repurposes some obscure use of bacteria and the way they fight off their own viruses known as phages and turn that into a really precise pair of scissors that can be used to do all kinds of things. So CRISPR made a fantastic tool that could be you know, used and applied in a variety of ways. But a lot of that stems from, from fundamental research and understanding into the function of bacteria and repurposing that process. Naturally, if that won a Nobel Prize, researchers could then go, what other tools can we pull out of bacteria? And for many years, people have been diving and playing around with all kinds of different things. Now, in particular, researchers Levna and Whitley were looking at a type of protein called CJAS, cyclic GMP-AMP synthase. And it was an important protein that they found in both humans and in a much simpler form in bacteria as well. Now, in both human cells and bacteria cells, CJAS is really useful for mounting a downstream defense. So if your cell detects a viral invader, CJAS protein is used for a signaling routine to let things know that something's wrong. But what purpose this regulation process of protein takes in bacteria was, wasn't really well understood. So they took some really high resolution cyro-electron microscopy images of the bacteria in process to give them an up and close look on how this structure of CJS evolved and what predecessors you could look at to see how this protein would develop over its long, long history to help understand how bacteria may use CJS to defend itself from another viral attack. And what they found is that the bacteria actually modified their CJS using a streamlined all-in-one version of process called ubiquitin transphase. It's a complex set of enzymes that when we see them in human cells, they control immune signaling and other critical cellular processes. But since bacteria are so simple, it's actually way more interesting to study in this case because we can understand how it works and manipulate it. 
And that's what the researchers did. They found two key components, proteins called CAP2 and 3. And they basically serve as on and off switches for the production of this particular protein, CJAS. And the enzymes related to this, the ubiquitin transphase, this in humans serves as sort of like a marker for cellular garbage, directing excess or old proteins that, yeah, you're marked for destruction, you're marked for being broken down. Now the problem is when that gets mislabeled or mistagged, proteins can build up, you know, basically they don't get their instruction to be sent to be deconstructed or trashed. And when that protein build up, so can disease, and that's things like Parkinson's can be traced back to this source. This particular protein and the enzymes that are creating CAP2 and 3 could be switched on and off with this, basically this off switch that they discovered. It means that in theory, you could turn on and off this production of the ubiquitin transphase machine, or basically the garbage destruction tag. Now, that would be pretty exciting if you could find a way to at will tag something as garbage or not garbage, or change the way things are getting tagged. But of course, this is just the understanding of a mechanism at this stage, rather than an actual treatment. So, of course, we need to understand way more detail how this works, but it can be seen with a little bit of thought that perhaps this could be turned into a tool, much in the same way that CRISPR turns into a neat pair of scissors, you could use a similar technique to make ubiquitin transferase a machine, uh, mostly out of CAP3, that would be like an off switch for editing out problematic proteins or diseases that are building up inside human cells. This is only coming from understanding just how bacteria manage to do a similar process. But it shows that there are machines in our body that could be really important for maintaining our cells. And as long as we know how to make them function in the right way, we can manipulate them to great success. And that's what we've done in CRISPR. But there's no reason that other cells couldn't do a similar process. In this case, what they're looking at is trying to have an off switch for this ubiquitin transphase, basically the garbage destruction tag for our cells. This is some great research published in the journal Nature from the University of Colorado Boulder with lead author in this paper, Hannah Levidna. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, The Grange Point. Understanding how meningitis manages to sneak its way past into our brain and developing new treatments by studying the signaling pathways used by bacteria to defend themselves. Our ending theme was composed by Audio Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.